It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 Three one three eight one four five six seven, or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, February twentieth, two thousand fourteen. Thanks for coming in to the program tonight, and listening. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. Good to be with you as well. Looking forward to a good discussion. We haven't done one of these in a while. I. Uh, Miscellaneous questions night. A listener question night, a smorgasbord of various topics. You know, as I was, I kind of keep these things in a in a certain spot, Jacob, and there's actually been a little bit of a dearth of listener questions coming in. We need to. Oh, so the pile is so, getting lower, huh? Yeah. So if listeners have questions, if you if send them in, and uh, we we may make a whole program out of one of those questions, or we may make it like tonight. We're going to deal with several of them that have come in, but. We, we enjoy that, and we think we get some good interest and feedback when we do that. So uh, give us your questions. We'd be glad to try to accommodate you. And uh, judging from the responses you've gotten so far tonight, you did generate some interest. Yeah, and uh, and so send us your questions to questions at collegeview.com, and we'll, we'll uh, certainly try to deal with them. All right, and we'll look forward to you joining in with your questions or comments. That's a good thing about this program tonight, that we could take your question on a uh, – Totally unrelated subject tonight. If you want to chime in, we'll try and squeeze you in tonight. And if we can't squeeze you in tonight, we can squeeze you in on another night. Uh, send your questions uh, to questions at collegeview.com, and we'll help you'll be ready with your answers as well in the chat room tonight to the bottom of your video window if you're watching us live. On the phone at 877-381-4567. That is toll free. Or you can email your answers to questions at collegeview.com. We look forward to hearing from you throughout the program tonight on four important questions and four completely unrelated questions. Yeah, these are unrelated ones. They don't fit together, but we'll try to t- take each of them and deal with them fairly. Well, these were the questions we sent out earlier today to our okay. update list. A little late today. What time? Oh, man, almost 2 o'clock I was this waiting for it. Yeah. I, it, was, it was late. Yeah, it was a little late. I was tied up today at, at noontime, so... Uh, uh, got it out a little bit late, but usually around noon on Thursday, we send out our update telling you our topic and giving you some questions and seeking your feedback. And and so if you're not on our list, get on that list. You also send us an email to questions at collegeview.com, and we'll add you to the list. Um, here were the questions. Number one, is there ever a reason to not obey God's commands? I have heard Christians use their family, friends, work, illnesses, mental issues, and so forth, and the list goes on. Are any of those acceptable reasons that God will respect and accept? Okay. Kind of an interesting question. I think there's a lot of, a, a lot to that. Would it be, number two, would it be scriptural to include humming along with the singing? Mm, that's a, that's a good Never one. really had heard that before. Uh, Anthony. That's you, a new one to yeah, me. Yeah, there you go. Okay. <clears throat> number three, if a brother sins and it is publicly known, do others have to follow the procedure in Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17? We'll have to, Describe that procedure and yeah. then talk about the application right. of it. And then number four, if you were in a situation to counsel someone who was tempted with viewing pornography, what answers would you give to help them? All right, that's a good one. And that is not an unrealistic scenario. Nope. Nope. I mean, nope. as we've talked often, pornography is uh, the fastest growing addiction in America, uh, largely due, almost totally due to the Internet. Yep. And uh, It's an un, uh, maybe an unappreciated danger here. Yeah, great danger. Tremendous Under, danger. Understated, maybe. Yeah, understated. So we're going to talk about that. All right. So, All right. 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com. We had a we 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 came in from the storm, Jacob. There was a tremendous uh, lightning storm that just passed through uh, here. I was and, worried as uh, I was coming in yeah. that maybe we'd lose our power or internet connection. Yeah, so we, far, so no, good. So far, so good. We did not, and so we're on the air and we're ready to roll. Right. Let's take this first question. Number one: Is there ever a reason to not obey God's commands? I've heard Christians use their family, kids, work, illnesses, mental issues, and so forth, and the list goes on. 
are any of these acceptable reasons that God would respect and accept? Maybe we ought to take them one at a time by the reasons that they've given. Well, I think maybe the first thing you got to talk about is whether or not, I mean, we, we got to define terms. I mean, always when you're dealing with a question, you got to make sure you have your, your terms defined. Okay. And so, for instance, he mentions illnesses. One of God's commands that we so often recite is Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as the manner of some mm-hmm. is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10.25. I'm sick. I've got the flu. And so I, I, I don't attend an assembly because I'm homesick with the flu. Have I disobeyed God? Well, there is, there is some uh, element of ability in God's commands. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, for instance, tells us, as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. We should be doing good to all men, but if I don't have the opportunity, for instance, if I'm ill, I don't have the opportunity. I, I think that, oh, I hadn't even thought about that, Jacob, but I think that's a good way to approach this. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men. So in other words, we're to do good unto all men, but it's limited by our opportunity to right. do so. Opportunity would mean, first of all, I've got to have ability, and secondly, yeah. I have to be confronted with the situation. Right. That So ability and opportunity constitute responsibility. Yep. Uh, and so if I, don't, if I don't have any, you don't have any food, but I don't have any either, yep. so I can't help you. Yeah. All right, let's, uh, let's put it this way. You call me and you say, hey, my, my house is on fire. I need you to come help me put it out. That would be a good thing to do. Yeah. Oh, but I'm on the couch with a stomach virus. I can't move. That's what I say. I'm sorry. I can't help you put your house out. I, yes. I'm, I'm incapacitated. Yeah. But if I'm on the couch, you know, taking it easy, and I don't come and help you, well, then I think I've done I've done wrong. Let's go to that passage in Hebrews 10:25, and and I think here, you know, this we talk about this being the command to assemble or not to forsake the assembling. Uh, I think a word study of this text would suggest the idea of a a purposeful and even protracted forsaking of the assembling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the very next verse says, verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we've received the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sin. And so I think that the Hebrew writer here is suggesting somebody who had actually given up and quit mm-hmm. is what's under consideration there. I don't think I would be violating that, that that instruction if I stayed home because I was sick with the flu. Right. In other words, I have not forsaken this. That's not forsaking the assembly, right? Right. Uh, as it is described in that context, and so that might be that might be some help. Let's read what some of our uh, email responders have said, Jacob. All right, uh, we have uh, Ramona in Texas. She says no, uh, capital letters, period. No, there's never a reason uh, not to obey God's commands. Uh, she references John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will obey what I command. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him, and we will make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. She's referencing verses 23 and 24 there as well. She also references 1 John 5, verse 3. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is the love of God, to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. So she's referencing passages here that tell us that we need to be obedient. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse verse 13. What you heard from me, keep as a pattern as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. And so she's saying we need to be obedient. We absolutely agree with that. And, uh, well, we've got to be careful because some would say, well, you know, it just sort of depends on the circumstance. We're not saying that. But yeah, we're we've got to be real careful here. I think we've got to be real careful here because we don't want to cross the line into situation ethics, you right. know, that the situation determines what's right or wrong. Right. Uh, but I do think that there's some question of definition. And Chris in, uh, in England says, uh, is there ever a reason to not obey God's commands? He said, I essentially want to say no, but it depends a bit on the definition of command. But if it is a command, or to put it another way, using the words of James, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Uh, what, are you, what excuse are you then left with? All right. So I, I would be sympathetic with his expression right. as well. Uh, yeah, and we, just, we do need to define terms. You know, for instance, uh, in the list of the, the questioner was uh, mental issues. Well, 
Maybe the mental issues are severe, severe mental issues. Yeah. You know, the, the person. And, and so this goes to the question of accountability. Yeah. If I'm sick, I'm not accountable. If I if I have a mental you can't uh, you, no condition, you can't no capacity I, to understand. I, the I'm, I'm not I'm not accountable. Right. You know, uh, and I think that go, goes into it. All right. Well. Okay. Um, but now there are certain people who say, "Well, I'm depressed, therefore I shouldn't obey God's command to remain faithful to my wife." Or I'm depressed. Uh, I need to go out and find a new wife, or I need to do some you know, drugs. That or, would be, yeah. in other words, you can't use those excuses right. so, for for uh, acts of commission. Man, we're just not having a definitive answer here. We've got to have yeah. a definitive answer. It's, it's a, really, it's a little more challenging question than you than you think at first. We might have thought. You know, you just might want to say yes or no, uh, but it's a little harder than that. All right, Jason says. Uh, Jason's in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh says, I believe there is a difference between wanting to do something for God and not being able to because of the circumstances and not wanting to do something which God commands and using the circumstances as an excuse or justification There's, not to do it. So you think what he's saying there? I think he got it. In other words, not able to versus using circumstances as an excuse not to. Right. That's the that's well, the, and I think he he's right. Did a great job. Uh, he says, for example, I know some brothers and sisters who want to be at services so badly, but often are hindered because of illnesses. I also know of brothers and sisters who are not too motivated to be at services who use their illnesses or whatever else they can use as an excuse not to go to services. I believe the former group are those who are accepted by God, and I believe the latter group is not. Thank you, Jason. Appreciate your answer. And Jim in Kentucky says, no, there are no scriptural reasons ever given to disobey. Sometimes brethren make decisions dealing with whether or not to attend worship or Bible study, study, which uh, or to attend Bible study, which are often based upon their belief in the needs of their family, work, illness, etc. However, one cannot cite a scripture which states that one must obey, except in the following cases. In other words, he says exceptions are not argued. Uh, one might suggest that brethren overlook another's absence due to illness or some other case, which we all agree would prohibit one from being able to obey. Yet we cannot state with certainty that our overlooking something is acceptable to God. With respect to attendance, it is an area that each one must decide upon and then rely upon the mercy of God with respect to whatever decision they make or whatever they've made that he will accept it. You know, maybe we maybe we're off here because, you know, is it really a command of God if I'm not able to it, for instance, am I commanded to do good to you if I don't have the opportunity? No, I'm not. So, well, uh, take for instance the Apostle Paul when he and Silas were thrown in jail in Philippi. I mean, if you were thrown in jail as one persecuted for being a Christian, and you therefore were unable to attend the worship assemblies, would God say, "Well, he sinned. You know, he's sinning. He's not. He's not obeying the command to assemble, but he's in jail because he's a Christian." Yeah. You know, I, 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 that doesn't that doesn't uh, uh, correlate it. All right, let's get Randy's answer. Randy says, uh, starting with myself, no. If we love God, we will keep His commandments. He references John fourteen fifteen, John First John five verses two and three. King Saul is a good example of not obeying all of God's commands. Because, and he gives us quite a bit of the yeah. text from First Samuel fifteen. And uh, that's and, a, and so yeah. we won't read all that. But the idea you remember First Samuel yep. fifteen was where King Saul was told to go and utterly destroy the Amalekites, and he used all kinds of excuses for not obeying. Yeah. And Samuel replied to him, God, hath God, this is verse 22, 1 Samuel 15, 22, hath God as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of Jehovah? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. And that is a great story and a great text to say God really wants us to obey him. And he, he concludes, Saul loses kingship all because he failed to obey all that God commanded him. No excuse can uh, substitute for uh, obedience. And so we appreciate that. And we got one more coming. It came in a little bit late here, Jacob, from Patrick in Birmingham. Thank you, Patrick. He says, this question would be easier. Now, again, remember the question we're dealing with here. Is it ever right? Is there ever a reason not to obey God's commands? We're kind of focusing on attendance, although it could be anything else, you know. Uh, he says, the question would be easier to address if the questioner were given some specific examples. I'd say no. There's never a reason that I can think of to intentionally, I think that's key, intentionally disobey a command of God. However, there may be occasions where one is put in a situation where he has to make a decision regarding the commandment to obey. Which commandment to obey? Not all of God's commandments are equal importance, and sometimes it's necessary to choose to obey the more important command if it's not possible to obey both. Does, wanna, he, have, does he have an example? I want to give you an example of that. Uh, here, he goes on. He says, for example, we should be obedient 
to taking part in public worship each Sunday. However, a parent might have a sick child which needs to be cared for and would be justified in staying home and caring for their child instead of attending Sunday worship. Likewise, a person is himself too ill to attend public worship. He doesn't sin by staying home. Also, we have an obligation to financially support the church, though I suspect that some people might disagree with me. If a person has only a small amount of money and is asked by someone who is poor and needy for financial help, a Christian would be justified in giving what money he has to help that individual, even if it meant not being able to give or give as much to the church. Supporting Scripture, Matthew twenty three twenty three. I, I I tend to agree with what Patrick says there. The example I was going to give, let's say I'm on the way to church services, Jacob. Right. And, uh, man, a terrible thing happened. There was a terrible automobile accident right in front of me. Mm-hmm. Cars just smashed up, people lying in the street, bleeding to death. And so, although you know I don't like to see blood. No, you don't. Uh, and, and you worse than me. Right. But I get there, right. and I'm able to put pressure on a a, a, a man's wound, and, and I'm able to, by standing there and holding him and pressing on his wound, I'm able to keep him from bleeding to death. Yep. But I'm missing the services to do that. Yeah. Have I sinned? In other words, I can't be two places at the same time. Yeah. And and so here's a situation. And again, I want to be real careful not to cross the line into saying we're justifying situation ethics. But here's a case where I cannot do two things at the same time, and I have to make a judgment. You know, both things are good. Both things are good. It's good to attend worship. It's good to save that man's life. Yeah. So I think at that point it's a judgment, and we have to respect that judgment. I was in that situation. I didn't have to administer any CPR or personal, but, I mean, I did see a man lying in the street bloody on my way to services, yeah. But it could happen. It I could was, happen. I was late as a result of But, you know, it's just so we've got to be careful about that we don't give the wrong answer again. I'm afraid that somebody's going to listen to this and say, well, they're, they're off in left field here, but uh, – it, that thunder I, in the background? I did. It, it, I think the questioner, though, is getting to the idea of can, could your family come before you and God? No. Could you put your kids before or be, use them? Well, as my, a, and I, again, and I think a lot of definition of terms of family. Could could family matters keep me from attending worship services? Well, yeah, i got a sick child. I need to stay home and take care of a sick right. child. My yeah, wife just I'd fell say, over yeah. with, a, with a heart attack, and we're about to go out to yeah. – Or my, my boy has a Little League baseball game. And I just love to watch him play baseball. And I want him to be able to make that game and not miss it. So we're going to miss, we're going to skip services to go to the baseball. That's different. See, there's, different, there's a whole gamut, a whole spectrum of different scenarios. And you're going to have to use good, sound, spiritual judgment in all of them. Uh, but I would say, I think, I think Jason's answer. That's right. Maybe. I was going to pull Jason's out. Go here. back to that one more time. Yeah, I, and we says, got to move on. I believe there's a difference between wanting to do something for God and not being able to because of the circumstances and not wanting to do something which God commands and using the circumstances as an excuse or justification. I think Jason's it. got the best answer on that. All right. All right. We're going to take a break. When we get back. Would it be scriptural, Anthony, to hum? What do you think? Hey, we didn't get Anthony. What did you didn't oh. you didn't chime in on that? Oh, uh, that's okay. No, I think you guys covered it. I, um, you know, yeah. I, I mean, I don't have a whole lot that I think I can improve that on. But I, it, it's a it it's, a, it's a, a tougher it's a tougher than, question than, than right. you think of at first at first blush. All right. right. We'll take a break. We we'll get back. We're gonna do the humming. Anthony's got to give us the answer when we get back. Humming. Eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview dot com. We'll be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. Hi, I'm Lane Crawford, a member of the College View Church of Christ. If you've never visited with the College View Church of Christ, you may be wondering what our worship services are like. One thing we have at every worship service is music. We believe God has commanded that music be a part of our worship. But something you may notice about our worship is that the music we have in our worship is different than the music used by many in the religious world today. The music we worship God with is strictly vocal. We don't believe God has commanded us to worship Him with instrumental music. Therefore, since we want God to approve of the worship we offer Him, we only worship in the way that he has specified. In Colossians 3.16, God instructs, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. 
Instructions like this in which only vocal music is commanded are the only instructions we can find in the New Testament. Since God didn't tell us that he wanted us to worship him with instrumental music, how can we be sure that he wants that kind of worship? We do know that if we worship God like he prescribed with vocal music, that he'll be happy with that kind of worship. We hope you'll make plans to visit with the College of Church of Christ to learn more about what our worship is like. We'd love to have you join us in worship of our Creator this Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Here's some quotes worth pondering. My first resolution is this, I will live for God. My second resolution is, if no one else does, I still will. Every once in a while, someone barks at me. I am trying to learn that I do not always need to bark back. The most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity. Definiteness of purpose is the starting point of all achievement. We become what we think about. How wonderful it is that nobody need wait a single moment before starting to improve. Man, wish I'd said that. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, taking your miscellaneous questions that have been submitted over time, and that's a reminder to you to send them in anytime you may be studying or thinking about an issue and you have a question you'd like discussed in this format. Send that in to questions at collegeview.com. Send it in tonight if you'd like, and we'll try and squeeze it in here if we can. If we can't, we'll put it in the list for another time. On to number two. Okay, our second Number question two. is, would it be scriptural to include humming along mm-hmm. with singing? Jacob, you know, we've, we've talked about music and worship a good bit on the Virtual Bible Study over the years. Typically, the question we get is about instrumental music and worship. And, and if you are interested in the answer to that question, there's an, several in the archives where you could. We've even talked to a Baptist preacher about that. Yeah. So uh, we, we won't we get a, off that into an that. interesting discussion. If you didn't listen to that, you might want to listen to that. He's got some interesting points of view. Yeah. Uh, but tonight we got a different question. One that I, I don't know if I've ever been asked that question exactly. Anthony, right. what about humming? Yeah. Uh, you got a answer here? Um, hmm. Yeah. He's humming. Oh, he's yeah. humming. <laughs> That's about all I can say. No, you know, I, well, I mean, I think I do. I mean, not to not to cut to the chase too much here, but I mean, the command is to sing, and um, humming is not really. I don't think we could say that's singing, and it's not—it's not imparting any information. The other part of that command is to teach and admonish one another, and so. Uh, yeah, I think that's where I'm going know, with that, Anthony. I yeah. think you're on the same page as me there. Colossians three sixteen, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, to the Lord. Both the things that you mentioned there, Anthony. The command is to sing, and in the singing. We are to be teaching and admonishing one another. I, I can't teach anybody anything by humming. Yeah. And so I would argue that that, that verse uh, would be enough to say, I don't see any authority for humming. And it actually contradicts the purpose for which we have music in the church. Uh, and so I would say, no, you know, that's one of the arguments. I said we weren't going to talk about instrumental music, but I think that's one of the subtle arguments we've made about instruments. You know, very often in denominational worship services, You'll, you'll have an, an instrumental solo. It won't be that the instrument is accompanying singing. That often happens. But sometimes the instrument's just playing by itself. Yeah. Well, that's music, but it's not teaching anything. You can't, you can't teach. You have to have words to teach. And so I, I would argue against instruments partially from that point of view, but I would also argue against humming from that point of view. I'd answer the question with another question, and I think the way you answer this question would answer the question about whether it's okay to hum with singing. The question is, would it be scriptural to include humming along with singing? I would change that. Would it be scriptural to use tap dancing along with the singing? Uh, and yeah. well, and some people would answer it, well, of course. Well, we'd have to back up another step. But most people, I think, listening tonight would say, no, that's not acceptable. And the same reason. It's a different act. What you're saying basically is it's a different act. It's same, different. The same reason you would say it's not acceptable to include tap dancing would be the same reason I would say it's not acceptable to use humming. We yeah. don't have any any authority for it. I think I think our listeners are probably uh, pretty much on the same page with this. Uh, Ramona uh, says uh, the command to make music and worship of God is always to sing or to use the lips or to. Uh, and to do so while plucking the unseen instrument of the human heart, that is to sing with the spirit and the understanding. And then she gives uh, nine verses from the New Testament, all which suggest the, the authority to sing. And wherever there's not we, any of them. Wherever we see music. And, and she says, is humming done from the heart? What if you can't sing? Well, 
if you can't if you can't sing, that goes to the question we were answering a minute ago. If you're not able to do something, then you're not responsible for doing something. Let's talk. You know, here's a guy who's a deaf mute. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he can't he can't make a noise. Right. We've got going to hold him accountable because he didn't sing. No, he doesn't have. He he's not able. Therefore, he's not accountable. Right. Okay. Uh, well, here is uh, Chris in the UK. Hard to know what the questioner's intention is. If it is in a congregational setting and I don't know the tune, I personally stay quiet for the first verse, focusing on the words, and then joining in on the subsequent verses. In plain, understandable words, the Lord has commanded us to sing in our worship to him, saying, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, singing and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Yes, the Lord has commanded us to sing with the Spirit and sing with the understanding also. Ephesians 5.19, Colossians 3.16, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. If are in the Lord's plain command to sing, he forever excluded humming, humming whistling. There's one we could Hey, add. if you can hum, I can whistle. That's right. I can yodel. <laughs> well, I don't think I mean, you if can. you can hum, I can yodel. In, in theory. Uh, and the use of mechanical instruments of music in the worship to God. And to those who participate in such innovations are thus... Uh, transgressing the doctrine of Christ and hath not God, Second John, verse 9. The verse in the New Testament, uh, when such is found that authorizes humming, will also authorize whistling and mechanical instruments of music in the worship. There is no divine authority for either one of them. One is just as wrong and sinful as the other. And he references Romans ten seventeen. faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Uh, uh, 14, verse 15, 2 John, uh, verse 9, Revelation 22, verse 18. May the Lord help us do only that which he has authorized in his word. And I would say amen to that last statement, uh, Chris. Uh, and, and that is something that the religious world today desperately needs to understand, that we need to do only what the Lord has authorized. For crying out loud, we're worshiping him, not ourselves. Well, we should be worshiping him, not ourselves. I'm afraid most people are worshiping themselves, doing what they like, not concerned about what God likes and what God wants. Hey, uh, I think Chris gave a very good answer there. Here's an answer from Jason in Pittsburgh. The passages within the New Testament that show us the kind of music which is pleasing to God show us that God approves of singing with us offering the fruit of our lips in thanksgiving and praise to him. Hebrews 13, 15, Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, 16. Humming does not offer any teaching or admonishing to a brother's sister, nor does it offer praise and thanksgiving to God. To be scriptural for us to do so under the new te- a new covenant, it needs to be authorized in the new covenant by Jesus or his apostles. I agree. I and agree. Jim is in the chat room, and he also sent in this question in the chat room. He says, oh, you know, some group out there does dance. Would not be surprised to find out there are some who tap dance because they believe they are using, quote, their body to serve God with the gift he's given me. Yeah. My uh, gift, Jim, is, uh, well, it's not really, but just, just for pretense. My gift is auto mechanicing. And so I want to bring in a, a V8 engine Sunday and tear it down and rebuild it during the worship services right. uh, because that's my ability. Right. You know, for the people who say I should be able to play the instrument or dance because I have a gift. Well, my gift is rebuilding engines. Can I do that? I, th- I think that, that you know that, that that argument is just foolish. Well, and Jim has uh, provided the humor again tonight. He's two weeks in a row. Jim says I'm guessing some have a different version where it says Psalms, hums, and spiritual <laughs> songs. Oh, Jim, you're the class clown again tonight. Well, thank you, Jim. That's, that's, <laughs> that's, a, that's, that's a, a good, good one. one. That is a good one. Uh, he, in his answer in his email, he says, no, both Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 uh, say that, that we should uh, be singing. Uh, and so he says uh, they speak oh, about no, his, his message printed out weird, didn't it? It did. He says uh, they sing, They re- speak about singing. Uh, they refer to the purpose of singing to teach, whether it be hymns, psalms, or spiritual songs. Singing is simply the medium used to convey the words of the spiritual message. Humming conveys nothing. It does not teach anything, and neither uh, does not teach anything. And neither, according to uh, Colossians three sixteen, can humming admonish, since it cannot convey a message or emotion. I think Paul also addresses this issue when he is talking about spiritual gifts in First Corinthians fourteen, when he says that with respect to those who sought to impress others by their ability to speak in a foreign tongue, so likewise ye, except ye utter by words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? He references First Corinthians fourteen verse nine there. One who hums is simply speaking in an unknown tongue and cannot make known what is spoken. They are simply following the man-made music and not the words. Ah, I like that. Thanks, Jim. Interesting. Uh, We do have a little bit of a dissenting opinion here from Patrick in Birmingham. Uh, Patrick does not agree with us on the instrument question, Mm -hmm. and so uh, here's what he says. As far as I know, the Scripture does not address the subject of humming, so I'll simply offer my opinion. 
Well, it doesn't mention yodeling or whistling either. I mean, uh, so, you know, the point we've made is if you allow one thing, then you're going to have to, you're opening the door to, in other words, just because it doesn't specifically say don't hum, what it does say to do is sing. And we've made that point before. When God specifies a thing, other things don't have to be mentioned. They are eliminated by by the specification of what is authorized. I think, Patrick, you need to rethink that because if, Simply because it's not mentioned, therefore we can do it. Well, that would open the door up to everything. Tap dancing, juggling chainsaws. Yeah. Uh, He says, um, though I disagree that there's any prohibition on the use of musical instruments of worship. Of course, we disagree on that point. But he says, humming does not involve the use of musical instruments other than one's own body. Humming is essentially wordless singing. So it seems it would be difficult to prohibit humming without arguing also against singing Unless you want, wish to argue that words are a necessary part of words. Now, I would argue that words are a necessary part of singing because singing must teach and admonish, uh, and I'm not teaching with humming. And so, yeah, I would say the words are specified as necessary. So, I, 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 with yeah, all you're not following the you're not following the command if you don't have words. With, with all respect, uh, Patrick, I got to disagree with that one. And Randy says, uh, no, it is not scriptural, and here's why: one cannot teach and admonish one another unless they are singing. References Colossians three sixteen, and so he agrees with uh, our other emailers. Okay, uh, I think that's an interesting question. I mean, it almost it uh, it, it sort of made you. Sit up and take notice. It's an unusual question, but it's worth uh, worth a consideration. And Anthony. Jack has a great way to summarize in the chat room. He says, when we don't respect the authority of the Scriptures, anything goes. And that is absolutely the case. And anything goes and anything will go. And that's what we see. In and it was really what we're seeing. That's what we see today. Anthony? Yeah, I agree. You know, I think, like you said, uh, you, typically the thing we hear about is hand clapping or something right. where right. it's something it's not done with your mouth. So the humming thing, it makes, you know, at first read, it's like, ooh, well, it's with the mouth. Maybe it's okay. But I think pretty pretty quickly we can see that it's not supported by the scriptures. Right. Okay. All right. And if we, if we accept instrumental music or we accept humming just because, well, I don't see anything wrong with it or I like it or I think it helps the worship, then you have no ground to stand on when someone else wants to bring in something a little bit farther or a little bit more extreme because they like it or they don't see anything wrong with it or they think it helps the worship. And before long, well, you've got what you got today. All right, we're going to take a break at this week's bullet point. When we come back, this is one, this this question comes up more than more than probably you would think. Yeah, do we have to, if a brother sins and it's publicly known, do we have to follow the procedure set forth? In Matthew 18, we'll read that. And, and I think we've got a definitive answer on this one. Yeah. All right. 877-381-4567. Don't go anywhere. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The Virtual Bible Study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. In the news, there was a story about a deer which had been killed in the local vicinity. Now, it's not normally a newsworthy item when a deer gets shot in this part of the country. In fact, it happens hundreds of times each hunting season. What made this particular situation unique was that the deer, a 12-point buck, was a tame deer which was kept in a fenced pen in a park. The deer even had a name. You guessed it, Bambi. He was shot at point-blank range, his head cut off at the shoulders, and the remains left there in the pen. Somewhere there is now a beautiful trophy hanging on someone's wall. Why would someone do such a thing? There can only be one reason. It was done so that this impressive trophy could be displayed. Other hunters, not knowing that the poor animal was stalked and shot while confined in a pen, will marvel at the hunting prowess of the one who now proudly exhibits his kill. The fact is that this fellow is no hunter at all and certainly not a sportsman. He has done what he has done simply to impress others. Similarly, in the religious world, there are those who desire to make a big show of their service to God. Every move is calculated to produce the maximum impression on others. The list includes everyone from media evangelists right down to the man in the pew who is only there so that others will see and notice him. Jesus warned of doing our religious deeds to, quote, be seen of men, Matthew 6, beginning verse 1. Let's be sure that what we do is for the purpose of pleasing God, who, quote, seeth in secret and rewards openly, Matthew 6, verse 4. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. 
Hi, my name is Zach Coleman, and when I'm listening to the virtual Bible study, I love to hear comments from other listeners. So please join in tonight's discussion by sending an email or by making a phone call. The address is questions at collegeview.com, and the phone number is toll-free, 877-381-4567. Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. And if you'll check out our website, you can find out that this program is brought to you by the College of Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us again by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com where you can find archives of this program since the beginning, and you can find archives of sermons that have been presented to the College of Church of Christ. We would encourage you to check it out, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. You know, we don't often mention it, probably should more often, College View is spelled funny. College, C-O-L-L-E-G-E, and View, it's all one word, C-O-L-L-E-G-E, View is V-U-E. Yeah. Somebody got clever with the naming there, yeah, and and, uh, and so the, the View is spelled with V-U-E. Uh, you can find us at collegeview.com. You can find us at thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We spelled that normally there, yeah. thevirtualbiblestudy.com. All mashed together, no spaces. But, you know, spaces. some of our listeners, maybe, uh, they may be subscribed through iTunes and never been to our website, and so definitely uh, you, you want to check that out. Yep. And you've done some good good work there, by the way. It's looking good. Oh, well, it's very plain, but it gets it gets the information out there right now. Maybe we can dress it up a little as we go along. All right, but not too much. All right, uh, we got another question. We're dealing with questions that have been sent in from by listeners, and we invite your questions. We'd be glad to, to entertain a question that you'd present to us. We can uh, take a question that might be worthy of a whole hour's worth of discussion, or we might take one and add it to a, a program such as the one we're doing tonight. We, we do this every two or three months, Jacob. We, we have a program a where we while. pick up uh, listener questions that have been sent in, and we enjoy those, and I think our listeners enjoy them. So send us your questions, questions at collegeview.com. All right, so the the third question tonight, uh, and I've I've sort of had I had to um, edit this. The, the the guy who sent me this question sent me a whole page, and I couldn't put it all here. Really? The, the, and I'm going to read part of that. He says, "But the 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 brother sins, and if a brother sins and it's publicly known, do others have to follow the procedure of Matthew 18 verses 15 through 17?" Mm-hmm. Let me read a little bit more. I won't read all this, but he says. He says, there was a point of contention with a particular family in the church. They disagreed with something I had taught. In other words, he had taught a lesson, and, and some in this family disagreed. He said, no one else disagreed with me, just that family. One of the family members approached me after he had the support of his family and said I was wrong, and they disagreed with me. I made a point that they should have followed Matthew 18 and come to me to clear the matters up. They claimed no wrong, he said, because... They stated I did those things publicly in in a preaching format, and that's why they did not feel they needed to come to me personally. Now, yeah. now repeat that. They they came to him in front of the whole congregation. No, no, but they talked about it among themselves before ever talking to him about it. Okay. All right. Well, you want to be careful about that, but I think I've got a verse that tells me that I don't have to do what Matthew. Okay, let, let's, let's go to Matthew okay. 18 first. Okay, right. let's, let's talk about this procedure. Matthew 18, beginning verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two or three, uh, one or two. I'm going to read that. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church, but if you neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. All right. Now that's uh now, that's, that's somebody who's no, done wrong. Notice this I mean it describes the scenario very yeah, clearly. Right. So let's just say it's you and me. Mm-hmm. You have trespassed against me. The mm-hmm. word trespass there would suggest sin. Mm-hmm. You have sinned against me. But this is just between the two of us. Nobody else is, is uh, involved in this, or apparently no one else is even aware of this mm-hmm. by the description of the situation that Jesus described. What do I do? Mm-hmm. I go to you personally, privately. This yep. is a private matter. It's just between you, me and you. Nobody else is involved. Nobody else knows about it. Keep it that way. If you repent and make it right, yep. it's over. Okay. If you won't, then it, it escalates a step. Mm-hmm. And I take I take a couple of witnesses along, and we, we I try to get a couple other people involved to talk with you, to encourage you to repent. If you do, it's over, finished. Yep. If you won't, then it's told to the whole church. But notice, the church wasn't aware of this. Notice he says, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it to the church. The church didn't know about this before, which right. indicates that this was not a matter 
uh, that was done publicly that was known by all. Yeah. They didn't find out about it until there had been quite a bit of discussion privately. Yeah. And because you wouldn't repent, then it finally became a situation known by all. But it was not known by all initially. So this is the kind of situation that's described there in Matthew chapter 18. All right. Okay. It's a private matter between individuals. And it, it may escalate to be known by others, but at first it's not. All right. I, I have a verse, I think, that proves that your interpretation is correct. How many admonitions there in Matthew chapter 18? At worst case scenario. Three. Three. Personal, somebody else, the church. Three admonitions. Titus chapter 3 verse 10 says that a man that is a heretic, that'd be a sinful thing, wouldn't it, to be a heretic? Yeah. That's a sin. It says after the first and second admonition, reject that man. So, so, so that they, they didn't do Matthew 18 in Titus chapter 3. They couldn't. There were only two admissions. There was three in Matthew 18. I think I got another verse right. that proves you don't okay. have to follow Matthew okay. 18. In right. situations that were known publicly, right. in, Matthew, in, in Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 11, Paul describes a situation with the apostle Peter and him. Right. Yeah, he says, Peter was come to Antioch. I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. For before certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, "Wow! if thou be a Jew. And go, and go. In other words, he, he didn't go to Peter privately first, and he didn't go to Peter, you know, but Peter didn't do it, didn't make it right. It, and so Paul took two or, two or three others with him. Peter still didn't make it right. And then Paul exposed the matter before the whole church. That's not the scenario of Galatians 2. Uh, Peter's actions were open and public and well-known, yep. and and Paul immediately withstood him to the face before them all. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that proves that here's an inspired apostle. And in that scenario, he did not follow a Matthew 18 setup. All right, and Rick agrees. He says the example of Paul, Paul's open rebuke of Peter in Galatians 2 proves that in the case of open public sin, an immediate open rebuke is authorized without going through the process set forth in Matthew 18. Thank you, Rick, for that comment. Yeah, yeah, and he's on it. All right. All right. Um, have we, oh, let's get to our answers. Yeah, we Ramona did. We Ramona might need to backtrack a little bit. Ramona didn't comment. Uh, did Chris comment? And yeah, he said if the sin is public uh, or the knowledge of it, uh, for example, Joel, Joel Olstein on TV or in a book teaching false teaching can be dealt with in a public forum such as this. If kept, if just the knowledge of it tends to make me think that the Matthew process has not been kept. So, okay. all right. All right. Uh, Jason in Pittsburgh says this passage, Matthew 18, is not necessarily a hard and fast rule to go through in every situation uh, of a brother sinning or in every circumstance of church discipline. It is dealing with the specific situation of a brother or sister sinning against you as an individual. You as an individual are to go through the steps the Lord gives. When the sin is already publicly known, for instance, 1 Corinthians 5 is probably the better text to go to if the brother is unwilling to repent. In this case, Paul commands them to put the man out of the church without going through the whole process described in Matthew 18. He skips to the last step in the process. I would also ask how this sin became known publicly. Was it because the brother publicly confessed it or was bragging about the sin? Was it because someone already began the process described in Matthew 18? Or did it become known through gossip? Many times someone who is sinned against by a brother goes straight to making the sin public before ever going to the brother to make things right, as Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 18. We can be guilty of gossip when we do this. If someone sins against us personally, their sin should not be made public until we go through the process described in Matthew 18 and get to the step in which we need to make the sin known to the church. I would agree. I think I think uh, Jason there's warning. If it's a private matter, deal with it like Matthew 18. But if it's a public matter, Matthew 18 is not applicable. All right. Uh, Jim says the passage under consideration deals with a sin which is an, against an individual. Whether or not that sin is public does not remove my ability, uh, responsibility to obey the scriptures. My question, though, would be to ask what is meant about others in their question. If, as Matthew 18, verse 15 mentions, the sin is against me, what do others have to do with it? I still must go to the one who has committed the trespass. If you're talking about uh, verses 16 and 17, then those verses deal with the action of several to help the one who has done the wrong. In either case, no one should exempt themselves from trying to correct the trespass when a soul is at stake. And that, that's, that last statement with Jim is, exact, is certainly right. We all, if someone is in sin, we all should be concerned and involved in trying to lead them to repentance. But, you know, I've heard this Matthew 18 thing misused. You know, someone says, 
Oh, they didn't. They didn't go by Matthew eighteen. No, no. Here's here's a here's a brother, and he goes out and gets drunk, and he wrecks his car, and his picture's on the front page of the newspaper, and he's got a mugshot there, and he's arrested for drunk driving. In other words, immediately it's known by everybody in the whole community, and so uh, a number uh, uh, the situation immediately escalates to where lots of people are involved trying to get the fellow to repent, and he begins to complain. Well, they didn't come to me uh, personally or individually. Well, you know, he says they didn't follow Matthew 18. Well, Matthew 18 wasn't ethical because just as soon as this event happened, everybody knew about it. And so now we're already at the level where everyone is encouraging you to repent. All right. And uh, Patrick says, although a couple of translations omit the phrase, I think the key phrase here is against you. The person who is offended has the primary duty to approach a person who has committed an offense against someone. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Make your ambition to lead a quiet life and to attend your own business. Paul also speaks against busybodies in Second Thessalonians three eleven and First Timothy five for thirteen. If people who are not involved in a matter try to get involved, they are being busybodies. As Proverbs twenty six verse seventeen says, "Like one who takes a dog by the ears is he who passes by and meddles with strife not belonging to him." I think the only exception might be if perhaps the nature of the sin is such that the public it is a public scandal which affects the whole Christian community. In that case, it might be proper for others to bring the issue before the church to handle it. But this also brings us to a broad, the broader meaning of the passage, which involves the church's authority to excommunicate or readmit members to the community. Thank you, Patrick. And then Randy in Michigan says, uh, since it's publicly known to all, it should be handled by the elders. And if there are no elders, the men of the congregation need to talk to the brother. And the best example I come up with is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I do not know that the sin, what the sin may be, but what is done should be done in the view of saving the lost brother. Again, as public as the sin is, so should it be treated. I really wish I had it better. No, I think it's the right answer, Randy. Don't, don't apologize for that answer. I think it's the right one. Anthony? No, I, I think it's good. It's, I, think, uh, I think you guys have covered that one. All right. Yeah, I, I, again, I think uh, I th- the problem, I think, is some people who don't want to do right will, will try to seek cover behind Matthew 18 and say, oh, you, you others – didn't do me right because you didn't follow Matthew 18 when Matthew 18 may not have been applicable at all. All right. We need to get, get a break. Our last break. We get a break. We don't have time to take what's going on in the chat room, but Tim's uh, trying to provide, find a scruple there. I would say, Tim, you err not knowing the scriptures. Uh, your arguments do not harmonize with what the scriptures they're, they're teach. They're talking about they're back on that singing question yeah, in the chat room. Whether or not a woman room. can sing or sing a song written by a woman, that the scriptures don't uh, don't address that. And uh well, I think some of I think some of them in the chat room. Or Jim is is engaged in him, and I think we got he's got All the right. answer okay. going. Let's get a break. We'll get back. We'll continue the session. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Now you can listen to a podcast of a recent sermon every week. Find out more at collegeview.com. There's more of the virtual Bible study right after these important messages. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View's Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931-381-4567. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight, or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. In a major turnaround from past decades, a majority of Americans now support legalizing marijuana. 55% of those questions say marijuana should be made legal, with 44% disagreeing. Support for legalizing marijuana has soared over the past quarter century from 16% in 1987 to 26% in 1996, 34% in 2002, and 43% just one year ago. And it's now again at 55% of those who support legalizing marijuana. That information is via CNN. The Word of God says in Romans 6, verse 16, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We're back and going to the top of the hour with listener questions. Send yours in. We won't be able to get to it tonight, but we can put it in the stack for a future edition. Send us your questions anytime to questions at collegeview.com. 
All right, number All right. four. We got one more question we're going to try to cover tonight, and uh, I think it's a, a a very timely question and one that. Uh, we all probably should prepare ourselves to deal with because we're going to run into this situation. Absolutely. The question was, if you were in a situation to counsel someone who was tempted with viewing pornography, Mm -hmm. what answers would you give to help them? All right. Um, Ramona says simply, I would ask, what if while you were looking at it, Christ came back? What would you say to him? That's a simple answer. It's a simple uh, answer, but it's a a soul-searching one. Chris in the UK says, would you invite Jesus to view it with you? If not, then you are forgetting that he promised in Matthew 28, verse 20, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that would go with so many things and probably ties back to the first question. You you know, I, I... I think that's exactly right. You know, the question, would you if would you look at that? In other words, here you're sitting at your computer and you're viewing this pornography, right. you know, and it's dark, it's the middle of the night, and everybody else in the house has gone off to sleep, and, and you're poking around on the Internet and you're looking at all this ugly stuff. Would you do that if Jesus was sitting right next to you? Right. And then, of course, Jesus is sitting right next that's to right. you. So that, that's the way to look at that. All right. Uh, we got Jason in Pittsburgh. He says, accountability is good in overcoming these kinds of temptations. One thing I have found to be good in helping a brother with any sex t- sexual temptation is this. I, t- I tell them that whenever they are feeling tempted to look at something they shouldn't or do something they shouldn't, they have to call me or text me and tell me, Jason, I'm feeling tempted to commit this sin, or Jason, I'm going to commit this sin. And then I tell them that after they commit the sin, they need to call me and every other person that is holding them accountable to tell us that they have sinned. I get them to agree to this the day in which I begin to hold them accountable. If they want me to help them, they must agree to this process. If they do not agree to this process, I will recommend that they find someone else to help them. How can they? How they respond usually shows how bad they want to stop the sin. If they agree to this and follow through with it, I, it usually doesn't get uh, to them having to call me the second time to, to tell me they committed the sin. Usually when they call me the first time and tell me they are feeling tempted to sin, I talk, them, talk to them for a few minutes to help them think about the Lord and then pray with them before hanging up. This usually gets them to have the time needed to for the temptation to lose its power. If they don't follow through with what they have agreed upon, for instance, if they do not call me before they sin, I confront them over not keeping their word and over the sin they committed. If they are not repentant, I tell them I'm going to get another brother or two involved in the process. Thank you, Jason. Uh, that's kind of interesting. I mean, I, and I think it's really a biblically-based approach. Correct. The idea of mutual Con- accountability. Confessing your faults, right? Confessing your faults. Uh, what is that? James chapter 5, verse 18, 17. It's in chapter uh, 5. Uh, James 5, verse... Just read the whole uh, chapter. 16. Okay. Confess your faults one to another and pray okay. one for another that you may be healed. Okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, th- I like that, Jason. I think that's a good idea, a good suggestion. And I've actually had some people do that, you know, say, you know, hold me accountable for this okay. or that. Even, okay. even in some instances, it's been pornography. Okay. Uh, this is... Who have I got here? This is Jim in Kentucky. Yep. He says... Pornography is sin, and any sin, if not repented of, will condemn one before God. One Can one view pornography and still obey the admonition of Paul in Colossians 3.17, which says, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Jesus said that looking upon a woman to lust after her is committing adultery in your heart, Matthew 5.28. And then in the very next verse he says, And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell, Matthew 5.29. Certainly this would apply to pornography, the viewing of sexual activities, or lusting after a woman. All right. Jesus is talking about there in Matthew chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, that uh, we need to go to extreme measures to prevent... Uh, yeah, you know, I, you know, I don't think Jesus is saying to, to engage in body mutilation. No. But he is saying... Do whatever it do takes. Do what it takes whatever to it takes. get past this tendency. Do whatever it takes. Yeah. It's not acceptable. Do whatever it takes to never do it again. All right. Uh, we got Patrick in Birmingham who says, I think it depends on the situation of the person tempted. If it involves someone who has not actually seen pornography but might be tempted out of curiosity to look at it or perhaps a young person who might be easily exposed to it, I would focus on the dangerous effects of pornography and a warning against getting trapped by it. Mm-hmm. But I, I suspect that you're speaking of someone who has already become ensnared in the pornography habit. In such a case, the person really should be accountable to someone who will be understanding and keep the matter confidential. Such a person probably knows at least some of the dangers of pornography, even if he's learned it too late. Sometimes loneliness, depression, and isolation lead one to pornography. But even if those things were not present before, use of pornography will eventually lead to depression, guilt, shame, isolation, and loneliness. 
It often becomes a substitute for real relationships with real people, especially for those who are unmarried and have a difficult time with romantic relationships or even friendships. It may also become an escape for married people who have unhappy relationships with their spouse. A person who is using pornography should have an accountability partner of the same gender. It can easily become an occasion of sin if the accountability partner is of the opposite gender. The main things for people addicted to pornography to do are to get out of the house and focus on building healthy relationships with people of the same gender, to spend their time on good, wholesome activities, and working on self-discipline. Exercise, fasting, setting regular bedtimes and waking times, etc. can help. Anything which helps the person develop self-discipline. It can also be very helpful to give a pornography addict encouragement because it is almost certain that they have will have relapses before they can kick the habit for good. When they do relapse, it's very easy for them to give in to feelings of hopelessness, sadness, and anxiety. So give them encouragement that they can overcome their habit. Really good, Patrick. Thank you, Patrick, very much. for that. And yeah. Randy, oh, go ahead, Anthony. No, that's an excellent response. Yeah. All right, good. And Anthony, uh, Randy in uh, Michigan says, first, you should first. Uh, I w- it should be pointed out that ha- that viewing such materials is sinful. I would say something like this: If you don't start, you don't have to stop. Once somebody gets hooked on something that is not uh, good, the harder it will be to stop. I would give scriptures that we show the sinfulness of viewing such material. I would do my very best to show the love that God has for him and all Christ- that all Christians do. Again, I tell him, if you don't start, you don't have to stop. And I would be doing a whole lot of praying and studying the Bible to give all the biblical hope I can to such a person. Thank you, Randy, for that response. You know, a verse that I really like, you know, uh, sometimes we, we take little little sayings and we clip them out and maybe right. paste them on the refrigerator or uh, I, I, I have seen, and I even did it on my computer for a while, right on the monitor of the computer, paste a Bible verse. Right. Like, how about this one? Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, right. for they shall see God. Right. Well, what's that imply? That implies if you're not pure in heart, yep. you will not see God. Yep. Right. And so put it's a little saying again. like that right there on your computer screen, where if you're tempted to use it to view pornography, put some reminders there that you have to look at that will give you strength to avoid the temptation. Absolutely. Over and over again, the scriptures teach us that. I, I, I found a, uh, we, it's almost out of time. I found a little blog here, a guy by the name of Chris Clevenger, 20 reasons I don't watch porn. Okay. Let me give him real quick. I, he gives a lot of Bible verses. And I'm not going to cite all those pieces. First, porn doesn't glorify God. Purity does. Porn exalts fornication and adult, adultery, two sins that God abhors. My body has been purchased with the blood of Christ and belongs to God for his glory. Number four, if I choose porn over God, then I don't really love God. Number five, porn violates the vows I made to my wife, vows to honor, love, and respect her. Number six, my body belongs to my wife, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4. Number seven, porn hurts my wife and destroys her trust and respect for me. Number eight, porn destroys true intimacy with my wife. Number nine, real monogamous marital sex is better than porn. Number 10, if I choose porn over my wife, then I really don't love my wife. Number 11, porn desecrates women who are made in the image of God. You know, that's what, that's somebody's daughter. You know, mm-hmm. what I want people looking at my daughter that right. way. You know, that, that that's a good way to think. Number 12, porn wastes time and kills motivation. Number 13, porn leads to selfishness and self-service. Number 14, porn hinders friendship and fellowship. Number 15, porn causes anxiety, fear, guilt, and depression. Number 16, porn destroys my prayer life. Number 17, porn robs me of peace. Number 18, porn can, uh, porn consumption leads to addiction. Number 19, porn uh, leads to other things. I'm not going to mention that. Number 20, porn is a sin will damn my soul to hell. All right. All right, I think I thought pretty good. All right, it's uh, it's a serious thing, and it needs to be well, it needs to be nipped in the bud. Yeah, very Adult. serious problem in America. They say it's the the fastest growing addiction in America is pornography addiction, and of course, the internet is the source of that all. I mean, right. it, I mean, used to be there's always been pornography around, but used to be like you know you had to go to the newsstand and, and maybe be embarrassed if someone would see you buying a dirty magazine. Right. Now people think, and it's not true, but they think they can do it in anonymity sitting in front of their computer right. screen. But it's really not. You know, a lot of people are watching what you're doing on your computer. You ever notice if you do a search for a product, you know, for days after that, your pop-ups are right. ads for that thing. You, you know, I was all looking right. for a rudder for a kayak. A rudder for a kayak. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting all kinds of pop-ups about kayak accessories now, you yeah. know. Because somebody is watching what I'm watching on the Internet. They're steering your ads. Uh, yeah, that's right. Or is that right? So it's not yeah. anonymous. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Okay. All right. 
Anthony, well, any thoughts on that? No, I just think, like you said, it's a, if you think, you know, 60-something years ago, how much more difficult it would be to get your hands on pornography right. if you were a, a, a child or a teenager. Right. But today, it's, I mean, it's at your fingertips. And, and, so and of course, we, we don't have a lot of time to go in all these directions, Anthony, but parents need to have eyes wide open, eyes in the back of their heads 24-7 watching their kids and what they're get, letting their kids be exposed to on the Internet because it will happen. I mean, it's almost, I mean, if you let your kids have unhindered access to the Internet, they're going to they're gonna find pornography, and it's not hard to do. All right. Well, we, we've, got, uh, we've got a serious challenge, and we need to be up to the task. All right. All right. I think those were interesting questions. Thanks to our listeners for sending Thanks them in. Thanks for putting them together tonight, Dad. Thank you for your time. Thanks, Jacob. Thank you for being there, Anthony. Appreciate your comments and your your assistance. Enjoyed it. And thank you for listening. We hope you benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word of the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.